Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. I'm Amari Sacco for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, but the guy you're all here to see today or listening on the podcast is the man himself, Keith Smith of Spotrack, the front office show, one of the best podcasts out there. I listen to it daily with Trevor Lane and former contributor at Celtics blog. I know that Keith has now moved on from that, but Keith, welcome back. I think this is like the third or fourth time you've joined either Motor City Hoops or the Pistons Pulse now. Yeah, I think so. It's going to be something like that for sure. I think uh, I feel confident to call myself a friend of the show now. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you are willing to call yourself a friend of the show, we would love to be able <laughs> to give you that designation. We were talking about before, man, I'm hoping so much, Keith, that you make it to Summer League because I would love to, you know, meet you in person and watch a game for a little bit, you know, whatever. I know Amari and I have talked about that as well. So we got a lot to get to. And so we're going to get right into this. The first thing I want to ask about, Keith, the Pistons, laid out the red carpet for Monty Williams, more so laid out a bunch of money for Monty Williams. I've heard your take on this from your podcast, but can you give our listeners, our followers kind of some insight into what your initial reaction was? My initial reaction was obviously shock, right? <laughs> Just the, the length and the size of the contract. I was like, it was like, because I want to say the initial started out at like 70 million. And then there was like, every report was like, they added like a year and then like $10 million on and it was fine like in the end it's like holy cow but you know if you're the Pistons and you felt that confident that Monty Williams was your guy good for them for going to get him right there's no salary cap on coach hires there's nothing that's going to block you from going and paying a ton of money to a coach so if I was a Pistons fan I would feel very happy and confident in my ownership group that they said green light go get him that's the guy if you, even if we got to pay you know 13 million dollars a year or whatever it ends up work it out to be so I, I think that part of it's really good it, now on the court it's a good coach right I, I think you know, a really good coach I think he had did a nice job with some uh, weird Pelicans teams uh, back in the day and then I think he did a really good job with that Suns team as they kind of uh, built into prominence very very quickly there around you know, obviously there was the Chris Paul trade helped quite a bit in that first uh, uh, jump up but then getting Kevin Durant and you know even last year I know they fell short and they fell out of the playoffs but you know that I think was a lot to do with injuries and a lack of depth and other things so, yeah, I think this is a really good hire. And I think last thing I'll say on it is really interesting with the length of the deal because that signals there's probably some patience here, right? That it doesn't have to be a you know playoff team contender within you know two, three years. And, you know, those things that so often kind of, you know, turn these coaching hires sideways where if they don't have immediate success, it goes the other way. I think it was really cool that they – Gave, they went the full length of the deal to give this time to say, hey, if it takes a couple of years to build this up, that's fine. You know, and then, then we'll move forward from there. Keith, that was going to be my next question, just how unique this deal is, not just from a, a money standpoint, but from a, a length standpoint. And I think we all agree Monty's a great coach. Obviously, 2022 coach of the year, we saw what he did in Phoenix and Detroit to the similar a position that Phoenix was in four years ago, which I think is a big reason why uh, Pistons ownership felt so strongly about it. Just what do you think about the Pistons kind of zagging here when you've seen, I mean, you've seen just the coaching turnover this summer and it seems like every two or three years we get a summer where it's just like 
a complete, uh, you know, bloodbath for, for coaches. But they had Stan Van Gundy for four years. They had Dwayne for five. And now they've committed to Monty for a minimum of six, you know, and, and, and up to eight. I guess kind of what do you make of this strategy? And there's always debate about how much coaches can impact the, the end result. Just what do you think this means for the Pistons long term to have somebody like Monty in town for as long as they've committed to him. Yeah, I think in general, NBA teams use the coach spot because, again, there is no salary cap related. There's no dead money that harms your roster building or anything like that as like that becomes almost the scapegoat. It's the, the old saying, right? It's easier to fire the coach than it is to fire all the players, right? So you just fire the coach and, and move along. And I think NBA teams have gotten less and less patient over the years, I think it's you know turned into most coach contracts are four years in length with maybe an option for a fifth year. And if you're not a playoff team by year, you know the the end of year two, uh, you know they're already kind of all right. What's going on here? And if you're not a contender or really stepping forward by you know year three and four, it's it, they're going to make a change. It's you know that that's just kind of the way these things go now. So I think what happens in this case is like I was saying, this is a lot of patience. Now you you've basically said, hey, we got six years to sort of figure things out, and if and if it takes two years to start really moving in the direction we want, that's okay because we still have four more years on the back end after this to to really build it out from there. So you know, super unique. The last six year coaching deal I can remember was Brad Stevens when the Celtics hired him from Butler, and that was part of that was uh, Stevens said, hey, if I'm leaving this college program that I built up, I. I need security, right? I'm not going to come in to what was supposed to look like it was going to be a multi-year rebuild. And they uh, ended up rebuilding much quicker than that. But it was like, I'm not coming to just come and get fired in two, three years because you lose patience with the process. So I think this is a you know, definitely a unique deal. And, you know, we'll, we'll see you know, how it all plays out. But, you know, this is, you know, I would feel very happy and excited if I was a Pistons fan about getting this hired, not just because he's a good coach, but just what it signals for the you know franchise as a whole and where they may be headed over the next few years. Before we get into specifics and we ask you about possibly trading for Jalen Brown or <laughs> Grant Williams, or I know you've done your NBA draft stuff and we have a lot of questions that the listeners are really interested to get your thoughts on some of these prospects we've been talking about. So we'll get to all of that. I want to get your big picture view of the Detroit Pistons right now, the roster, the salary cap. They have number five pick. They have number 31 pick. They have some vets. They have some young guys. Just where do you see this team? Where's the salary cap? How could the new CBA maybe impact anything? Maybe it doesn't impact them with where they're at. Just can you give us the, the, you know, the, the airplane view of the organization in your eyes? Despite the fact that it was such a you know rough season last year, and I know you know it was just felt like it was loss after loss after loss, and I guess it kind of was, right? But it's... I think they're in better shape than it maybe feels sometimes. And I think that's easy for me to say I'm not as close to it, right? So those losses don't impact me the way they do a Pistons fan. But I think it is, when I look at the roster as a whole, there's pretty cool roster flexibility, both in terms of contracts and just positions, like the way way they play. And a big key to that is Cade Cunningham. I think Cade Cunningham is a guy, I feel depending on how they build out this roster moving forward, 
he can play the one, two, or three, right? If if you put a bunch of size and shooting around him, he can be your one, and he can be the guy who's getting y'all set up and running everything. If you go with a guard in you know the way you build out the roster, you slide him up a position or two, and he can play as kind of a playmaking uh, wing, and I think that's fine too. So I think you're in a really good place because of his versatility in the way the roster can be built out. I think also we're in a spot with um, Detroit where – I, I just I like a lot of their players, and it's kind of funny because I I have to be very careful to not get so into man. I like all the pieces, but the the, the sum is not there, right? It, do, it doesn't add up the way it should. But like I think keeping Bogdanovich and Burks was a sign to me um, that they didn't trade those guys at the trade deadline. Of hey, we we want to be better next year, right? We we want to be more competitive. We want to try to, I'm not saying go all in on making the playoffs or anything like that, but we just want to be a better team, right? I kind of view them as like, we want to be what the Orlando Magic were this year. Let's play meaningful basketball in March, you know, in, in maybe even the very beginning part of April. Like, I think that would really be, you know, a good place to be is a good step forward. Um, even if you don't make the playoffs, at least you're, you're you were competitive uh, all the way through. And I think keeping guys like Bogdanovich and Burks, at least for now, that's fine. You know, and the, those guys, super tradable contracts, they can be moved on at any point. The big collection is, you know, I, I lovingly refer to it as throw them all in the steel cage and let them you know, battle it out and figure it out, right? There's four bigs there that I think, you know, most people kind of like to varying degrees. And it's, you know, well, let's see what it looks like. And I think that's fine, you know, for where they are. It's, you know, let that all kind of play itself out. It's, you know, and then obviously salary cap wise tons of flexibility with the cap um you know they, they've they've got you know cap space this summer if they want it i think they probably will go that direction so um that can be used you know obviously to sign guys or as they've done over the years eat contracts or just be a partner in trade and those sorts of things so those are you know that that's just having that kind of balance i guess is really good uh for the team and then they're not facing any super crucial extension deadlines just yet you know we're a year out on on those things starting to hit and we'll we'll, we'll you know can probably get into that later as we go um with that the cba i don't think changes a whole lot for the pistons right now it's nice that the room exception was bumped up right so if they go the cap space route that is another chunk of spending power that they'll have and you know they, to add to the roster with as they go along and that could be one too where that you know instead of that being you know five million dollars being about seven and a half million dollars or so slightly more that gives you the ability to maybe pick off a value signing that you know somebody who's kind of just sitting there you know tier three or four free agent but but you can get into it so i i, I think they're in a really good place obviously the the lottery was you know a, a huge bummer right that you you fell as far as you could fall that part of it stinks but i do think that they're in a uh you know interesting spot um you know in the draft they're, they're gonna have a lot of options there you know they in a spot where you know i wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's not a spot where teams are looking to trade up to and those sorts of things so i you know just all around i get it right 17 win team it's hard to be super duper excited but i think they're in a much better place than i think people would look at on its face and kind of leaping off of that and you alluded to it earlier as well uh, just to be in this position of flexibility and you know they're in here to have a rebuild last season i don't think anybody expected 17 wins after winning i think 23 and 22 to two years before so you know, maybe there's some answers from the fan base and maybe the front office, too, is thinking, do we need to you know, make a bigger swing to be competitive next summer? But just from a flexibility, being able to, I guess, 
pick your own journey uh, since. Uh, how good is it to be in that spot, especially in a year like this where maybe free agency is not quite, you know, giving you what you, you need to make that leap? It's funny, right? They're, they're one, they're not in the position cap space wise. They have a good chunk of cap space, but it's not like years past where I think maybe even last year we talked or the year before. Uh, I know Bryce and I have talked it where it's like, you know, yeah, they could go get two max free agents and those kind of things. They're not really sitting in that kind of spot right now. I think you know, I project them to have right around 30 million in space. So that's not, you know, you're not getting a James Harden or Kyrie Irving in that spot. Not saying that's the direction they should go or would go anyway, but, but that's, not the worst thing in the world because that's kind of it for probably max free agents in, in this class. Everybody else is, you know, a tier or two down from those two guys. So I think what you're looking at here now, if you're the Pistons, is let's get into a place where we can, you know, go get a uh, couple guys, right, to kind of flesh out our rotation. Um, or, you know, somebody comes free via trade that we didn't expect. You know, now we can maybe jump on that guy and get him there. That's how I think you use that cap space more than the whole, you know, let's go out and spend it all on one big free agent and go because I don't know that that one big free agent really exists the, this summer, at least in a way that makes sense for Detroit. Let's talk draft just a little bit, Keith, and then that'll help us flush out some of the other potential moves that come around, whether whether it is the free agency route or a trade route and those type of things. So this is from Jonathan Strong. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to actually rank them, Keith, but he asked, can you rank Miller, Amin, Jarris, Kamasar, Hendricks? Uh, you don't have to rank them, but just based off what you've done, Keith, where are you at with the Pistons at number five? Let's assume the big three are off the board in Miller, Scoo, and Wimby. Who do you think really fits into this roster? And then we can build from there with May what, what may happen the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think that's a good list of guys there, obviously, right, Be being, you know, realistic and who could be there. I don't think Miller will be there, but, um, you know, I, I do have Miller as the top guy of that group, but I'm very high on Cam Whitmore. I, I think he's going to be very, very good. I, I like that he plays with force, um, I guess is the best way to put that. He gets where he wants to be on the floor. Um, he's not a super-duper athlete, but he's a good enough athlete that I don't, you know, think it's going to be you know, anything that's going to hamper him. But he's just a smart player who knows what he wants to do. I think the shop will uh, continue to improve and get better as he goes. So I really like him. The Thompson twins are just, it's so hard to evaluate them, right? Cause it's, you know, I mean, it's like this, this is as close to a throwback to kids coming out of high school as we've had in years, because they're just, I mean, some of the tape is like, I don't even know what I'm watching here. Right. Cause they're like four steps and they're to the rim because they're playing against dudes who looked like me in high school yeah. <laughs> like, better than me. Obviously I was not very good. Um, but they, uh, you know, so that, that's a little, little tricky. Uh, Drace, I think is going to be a good player too. I think he's just, he's the kind of guy I think you plug in the rotation on day one and you feel pretty good about him doing a lot of different stuff. And then Hendricks is interesting. I've seen him play a lot cause I live in Orlando. Um, so I've seen him play a lot at UCF. Um, you just gonna have patience. You're, you're not gonna get him uh, day one. You know, kind of stepping right in and doing a lot of stuff because I think he is. I think he may think he can, um, which is a little scary. Um, but he, he needs work defensively. He gets a little bit lost off the ball. He doesn't. You know, I think it's just gonna take him a little while to catch up there. And then offensively. 
it's going to be playing in a system that's not totally tailored to him, no pun intended, um, with that. But it's, uh, you know, let's see, you know, how he does in that kind of situation where it's not, you know, just him kind of, you know, all right, I got the ball and I'm going to make every decision and take every shot if I want to. It's going to have to be, how do I fit in in that spot? But, you know, and I, I want to go back just real quick on the Thompson twins. I think they're both going to be pretty good. I just think that neither one of them can shoot. And that part's really worrisome for me. I am more than ever convinced if you can't shoot in the NBA, you better be super special at the other things you do. And it's going to be really hard if you're a winger or a guard that can't shoot because there's no just go stand near the rim and throw it up to them, right? Plays like those, those don't necessarily exist. So, you know, I, I, I think they're going to be good players. I just think, again, patience is going to take take a little bit and the one other concern i have with them is unlike it feels like their kids coming right out of high school but these guys are already in their 20s like that part's a little like that's you know i don't know how much more physical you know improvement you're they're obviously going to fill out and you know build up their muscle mass but i i I don't know that you're going to you know bank on some of the physical improvement you see sometimes from these guys who are you know 18 19 years old coming in Keith, uh, this is a Cam Whitmore fr- friendly pod, so you know, it's, it's, you know, it's good to get you on the on the Cam Whitmore train. I love him, man. I, I love him. He's, he's just he just can play. Like I, I don't, I know that sounds like stupid buzzwords, but like it's so true. Like he just knows what he's doing out there. I think a lot of people uh, get into the debate, especially when you're a team like the Pistons, who are kind of at seemingly at a crosswords, right? Like, are we going to go for it next season or continue to kind of slow roll this? Uh, I think Cam's seen as a lot of people as like the upside swing. And I think uh, Ahmed Thompson gets some of that as well. Uh, I guess when it comes down to your draft philosophy, especially for the Pistons at five and, you know, essentially a, a, a three-person draft, really a one-person draft from their perspective, but three, uh, you know, I guess where do you kind of fall on that, you know, maybe taking a guy like Cam who's younger and has some works to work out, his playmaking obviously is an improvement area versus a guy maybe like a Jarris or a Taylor Hendricks where you can look at him and clearly see maybe a pretty high floor as a role player, but maybe some question marks as far as they can get to that next year. If I was running the Pistons, I would say everything I'm doing right now is, can they play with Cade Cunningham and, and Jaden Ivey? Yeah. And if they can, then that's good, right? If I have question of, all right, player X can, I think can really fit with them and player Y, I'm not so sure that's a great fit and everything else is the same. I'm going with the guy I think can fit. I tend to be take the best player available unless you're like at the end of the first round and it's like, man, what we really need is a guy who can really fill up the you know, shot sheet and knock down shots. Then that's fine. Go draft your designated shooter. That's fine. But when you're picking in the top 20, I'm a big best player available guy because just NBA rosters, it, it, this is not, you're not building a 10 year roster here, right? So drafting for fit always seems a little silly when it's, you know, a guy could be off the roster by the time the next draft rolls around. So, so I'm big on take the best player available. But with that in mind, I want to make sure can they play alongside those two guys? Cause those are my two building blocks, right? Move, moving forward. And that's not to, knock like like Jalen Duran or any of those guys because because I think you know he can be a part of that right now I'm just not as I'm, I'm not if, if there was a there isn't but if there was like another knockdown like perfect center spot there nobody screams on the Pistons like that's the guy that I would not draft another center now I know people are probably like what are you talking about and there's not it's not even in the mix right because it's not even a thing um you know there's not a guy in that range for them that would make sense um but yeah I I, I really do I think Cam Webmore would fit uh, really well I think the other guys I have a little bit more question especially someone like Amon 
Thompson. I think there's a lot of similarities to Kid Cunningham there. And I worry about with the current big mix, that puts an awful lot on Jaden Ivey to become a absolute, you know, he's got to hit 40% from three or you're not going to build a functional offense. Like you're going to struggle to score points way too much if, if you went that direction. So as Amari said, we're a Cam Whitmore friendly podcast here. So we're going to stay in this world after this short break. And we had some questions about Grant Williams, Jeremy Grant. Those are two really nice names if you did draft Cam Whitmore. So after this short break, we'll come back and we'll dive into what could they do in free agency trades, those type of things. Let's say they drafted Cam Whitmore. We'll talk about that right after this. All right, Keith, we're back with segment two. Uh, one more draft question from me, and then you know, I'll see if we can maybe get into some free agency stuff. Uh, even beyond those, you know, the five that we talked about here, I think another guy, to me, has kind of been lost in the shuffle a little bit, uh, Anthony Black. Uh, do you see him? We, we have a quota, Keith, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we can't go 30 minutes without talking about Anthony Black. So if we went into free agency, Omari wouldn't have been able to hit that. So that's why we're going, going with this question. But it, it, he is an interesting prospect. I'm just curious about Anthony Black. When you look, like, what do you see from him? What do you um, kind of see his role in the NBA? And is he is that on-ball guy, or could you see him maybe being that connective wing that a lot of teams are looking for now? Yeah, I just finished my scout on all the Arkansas guys yesterday, so this is a great, great timing. I um, I, I kind of tried to you know watch them all together because there's a, it feels like there's like 14 dudes on that roster in this draft. I think it's more like four, but um, I really like Anthony Black, and I like his. There, there's more to his on-ball game than I think he has shown fully um, just just yet. I think you know, there were a lot of guards uh, on that um, our Arkansas team, especially when Nick Smith was healthy and playing. Um, so I think Black got relegated into an off-ball role quite a bit more than he probably would. In a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of Jaden Ivey, where Jaden Ivey has you know, more on-ball um, playmaking ability than I think a lot of people fully recognize. I think he came in with very much a, yeah, this dude's a scorer and that's what he will be. Um, and that's fine. I, I think, you know, you get, if you were to go the Anthony Black route and put him with Ivy and Cunningham, you've got your perimeter trio, hopefully for the next, you know, several years set, right? Because I think they can all play together because I think you've get enough shooting out of Black and Ivy that, that you're in a good spot. Definitely, you got playmaking in spades there, right? That's tons of, you know, guys that you can just, you know, they're making all sorts of plays um, out of the, that group of three. So I, I really I really like him quite a bit. And I'll throw you one other name too, just because he, he's another guy um, who I – I think it's probably a little too high at five, but if they were to do like a trade back situation and pick up additional picks, Jalen Hood Shafino, I think is pretty good too. Um, I, I like his, uh, again, I like that ability to throw him in there. And the only thing that opens all this up is Cunningham and Ivy's ability to both to play multiple positions and play on and off the ball um, for Ivy and then Cunningham's ability to play, you know, really any of the perimeter roles that you could want him in. So, you know, he's another kid that I really like. I think he's just, I just, I like guards that are tough. I like our guards that aren't, aren't afraid to get in there and mix it up a little bit. And I, I, I think he, he's a pretty good player too. Again, probably too high to, to, to take him at, um, at five, but I think, 
you know, if you, if there was any kind of trade back scenario or anything, um, he's a guy that I think, you know, could be in the mix for them. So let's just stay in this world. It doesn't matter. It can be Cam Whitmore. It can be Anthony Black, whoever. You're adding another perimeter guard wing where it's Cade, Ivy, and this player, which leaves somewhat of a hole as a bigger wing slash forward type player. So Jonathan Strong asks about a guy you've watched a whole bunch of, Grant Williams. And then Nick asks about Jeremy Grant in Portland. That's a name that's obviously very familiar with Pistons fans. I know that's a two-part question, Keith. And, and I go ahead and you can start with this, whichever one you want. But if you don't mind answering kind of both, I know there's different contexts around both of those players, but mm-hmm. interesting guys to add to this roster in some way. I think we've seen Jeremy Grant, what he can do. Now, what I'd be interested to see is Jeremy Grant back with Detroit this time. It's not like he's been gone forever, but it was, what, one season. But if he came back, like, I think we're in a, this is a different Pistons team, right? Where it's going to be, hey, you need to seed some of the on-ball reps, right? It, it can't be, you know, Jeremy Grant has the ball every possession and is making all sorts of plays in that. But I think that's honestly fine because I think what we saw with Jeremy Grant in Portland was a return of his efficiency came back up because it wasn't so many off-the-dribble contested jumpers that he was having to create late in the clock. It was, all right, Dame, Simons, those guys created it for me, and I'm knocking down open open ones. And that's that's good, right? I think he's a very um, moldable, adaptable player, right? He can kind of fit into whatever you need him to kind of morph into. He can play both the three and the four. I, I just, I guess for me, it's... I, kind of been there, done that, right? I don't think that's the direction I would go in. I also don't think Portland's Portland's either going to hit a hard reset uh, this year. If for some reason there was ever, you know, them and Dame came to an agreement of let's go, or they're going to be looking to keep guys like Jeremy Grant on the roster around Dame to, to kind of flesh it out. And then it's going to be the kids and the draft pick that get traded for, for other things. So, so that one to me, I don't think there's going to be anything there because I think he probably just stays um, with, with Portland or, you know, moves on to another option. Grant Williams is, Interesting, because I guess my question would be is what do you see him as if you're the Pistons? Do you see him as a a big wing or do you see him as a big and a smaller big? Um, and and if, I tend to think he's more the latter. Uh, I think he's like a smallish big. Um, I think his best position is the four. I think he can play small ball five against certain centers, um, you know, where it's not going to be, you know, beating him up there too much and um especially if you have rebounding on the floor uh next to him um that's big his ability to space the floor especially if he's playing at the four or the five is huge when you get it when you start messing around with him at the three you lose a lot of the things that make him a good player um the switchability doesn't matter as much there right because it's now, now you're just kind of doing your thing. Um, the ability to bang bodies isn't as big out on the perimeter. That's where he's really good. He's really good at being that kind of annoying defender where he gets up in underneath guys like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. And, you know, he's had a lot of success against those guys, which sounds weird because he's like six foot six, six foot seven, but that's what he does really well. Um, and then obviously if he's playing at the three, the shooting just it's still great to have, but it's not quite as important, right? Because you're, you're, you're now you're playing a different spot. So I guess then I look at it as 
area. Well, sure, Grant could definitely make sense. They could use a little bit more shooting. They could use, he's a pretty good playmaker too. He's a really you know smart passer, pretty good screener. But then what does that mean for the other collection of guys on the roster, right? Are we moving on from, you know, a couple of those bigs? Because if we're moving on, then Grant Williams makes a lot more sense. But if, if we're not, if we're going to kind of throw those four bigs into the mix and say, battle it out, fight it out. The last thing I want to do is throw a fifth big into that mix and say, hey, let's, let's muddy this even more, especially when I think there's a good chance some of their better lineups this year is currently constructed are probably going to feature Bogdanovich playing like a small ball four. So then that becomes, you know, all right, where are we going with this? So that, that almost becomes a, it's a nice player, but then it like, well, what is the fit? What is the role here? And I'm just not sure it makes sense for the Pistons. We got a question about uh, Cameron Johnson. He's another player sort of in that, that big wing slash four, you know, range that the Pistons are likely going to be looking at this summer. When you look at Cam Johnson and especially being a restricted free agent, you know, in this market, where would you, you know, maybe peg his salary range and do you see him being a natural fit with the Pistons? His spot, because he's restricted, if like Detroit or any of the cap space teams are going to try to go get him, I think you're talking probably close to $25 million a year you're going to have to offer because you just have to overpay restricted free agents. That's the only way to get them. Now, I do think there might be a couple of these cap space teams that are like, hey, Sean Marks, remember that couple-year period where you messed with everybody and gave these big offers to restricted free agents and forced teams to match deals and all this stuff? Guess what? The, 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 the roosters come home here. We're we're we're, we're going to do do our thing now. We're going to go after you. So I I do think there is a chance because Cam Johnson again, guy, kind of play two, three, or four depending on what the rest of your lineup looks like. Um, and you know what it is? He's a knockdown shooter. I thought he showed more in the last year off the dribble ability than he had um in previous years, and I think that was uh, both an expansion of his role before he got hurt with the Suns, and then just a you know, letting him do more uh, once he gets to the net. So it was really kind of him and Mikhail Bridges. Um, and then the old friend Spencer Dinwiddie of, you know, hey, you, you guys got to kind of create everything here. We don't have a whole lot uh, left. So I think that became, you know, he really kind of shined uh, there. So that's the challenge, though, is, you know, you, you're going to have to make the offer so big that the net's blank. And I don't know that that's, that you're taught, that's it. That's all of your, uh, your, your cap space. If you're, you're Detroit, right? It would all go to Cam Johnson. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world because I think he can play. I think he can really fit in, uh, you know, well with the rest of the roster. I just, I don't know that I want to spend all my cap space in one place like that. While we're talking about cap space, this is from Doug McMiniman. What is your opinion about spending on free agents versus facilities? facilitating trades for future assets. This is one thing I really wanted to get in with you today, Keith, because you brought it up, I don't know, two years ago. You always use J.J. Redick as the example with the Sixers. The one year, you can't overpay for a one-year guy. So if you're Detroit, and again, we can live in whatever world we want, they need some sort of version of upgrades on the wing slash forward. Would you do that with a player out there, overpay for one year, or is it the 76ers are trying to reset and maybe you could take on the Tobias Harris contract? You know, if Harden, you know, are there some names out there? Is there something out there? And is it better to do it via free agency or take on in a trade? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, way to frame that question. I think 
the one year paying for a free agent, I think they're too far away from, from that. I think if they were a little bit closer, if they had been like, man, we're right in the play-in mix right to the end of the year and we, we, we just didn't get there, then I think you're a lot closer to doing the one year, you know, big contract. My team for that this summer is the Thunder. I think, you know, they're really, really good. They're, they're also very tight on roster spots. So I think, you know, if you wanted to, you know, throw $25 million at whoever you targeted as this is our guy for one or two years, that's fine. You know, keep it short enough that it doesn't hurt you if it turns sour. But for the most part, you're good. I think Detroit's a little too, too far away from that. I think the idea of eating a big contract for, you know, in exchange of, you know, kind of doing it because you're like, like Tobias Harris, you used him as an example there. He's only got one year left, so you're probably going to get a minor draft asset out of that. And Philly's a little tied up with what they can trade uh, draft pick-wise. But you're probably not getting anything super great out of that where you feel like, man, that's it. You know, we're, we're great now. We got this. They're certainly not going to trade one of their good young players, I don't think. So that turns into, you know, what, what are we doing with this kind of player, right? Because if you look at the roster right now, like, where did, where does he fit right are we because again his probably best position at this point in his career is the four all right so now we're taking another one of the fours out of the mix not that he's not better uh, than those guys but you know you know what, what is that doing for us in exchange for the asset costs i think i would rather try to do something i saw uh, I think I saw maybe in the chat, maybe I misread it, but I thought somebody said something along the lines of like, could you trade Bogdanovich in the pick to go get something? Well, you could could do that. That to me though, the something better be more than a one or two year contribution, right? If I'm trading the fifth pick. Yeah, there it is, the Shaden Sharp one. That makes more sense to me as a kind of move I would make because I think Shaden Sharp, you could throw him on the roster, contribute for years to come, and that would you know be be a way to go. I don't know that I would do the um, you know let's throw a you know let, let, let's you know, do anything with the pick or any one of the player salaries to eat a bigger salary to come in. That's certainly not a direction I would go. I would I would need paid more than what these teams are probably going to pay unless you get into a spot where it's a team that's like, man, we got to get out of this super tax, right? We, we cannot be sitting there. And that's where I think, you know, do you have a conversation with the Warriors about like Jordan Poole, you know, and say, hey, you know, long-term deal. And I know people are kind of down on Jordan Poole right now, but I, I think Jordan Poole's biggest issue is I think he needs to start. I think we found out this year with the Warriors, Jordan Poole coming off the bench, he just he's just not good. And it's, I think we've become – how do I say this? I think in the NBA we've gotten to a place where coming off the bench is not as valued a skill as it maybe should be. You know, Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams made you know super long careers out of coming off the bench and being awesome at doing it because you got to be able to come off the bench, hit the floor – and make an impact right away, you know, when you get out there. And I think Jordan Poole's the kind of guy needs to feel his way into the game a little bit, needs to, you know, see what it's like, get his touches right away and get going. So, you know, that could be a move you could make. You you could maybe pick off from the Clippers if they wanted to get involved with them, two rotation players, you know, and say like, hey, all right, we're, our goal now is we want to make a, 
push forward and really be in the playing mix and maybe beyond if you're better, um, then you know, go get a couple guys who can fill rotation spots and help them uh, bring their tax bill down. You could even look at Boston and say, you know, hey, if you're looking to shed Malcolm Brogdon's contract, you know, could could there be something there? Those are the kind of teams I'd target versus the kind of more traditional, we're going to eat your bad salary type type of situations. Keith, how do you see this trade market heating up? You have a lot of teams, obviously, that fell short of expectations. And, you know, to me, it seems like whenever you have an offseason where a lot of coaches lose their jobs, a lot of <laughs> trades usually follow. It seems like there's always a correlation there. Do you think the Pistons uh, could end up being one of those ideal teams that just say, hey, uh, let's maybe just operate as a landing spot. Do you think that the market's trending that way, maybe more toward like a blockbuster trace uh, per se? Yeah, I do. I think there's a couple factors. One, you mentioned, right, teams that fell short, uh, for sure. Then I think the other piece is you get into a spot where it is the free agent class is super weak, so you're not getting your major push forward from free agency for a lot of these teams. Um, and a lot of these teams are not even in a position to do that anyway. Um, and some of them are not in positions to do sign and trades because that would trigger the hard cap and make everything else harder on them. So I think you've got that part of it there where the way forward then is to make trades, right? That's going to be the way. And then you have these teams that are dancing around that, that I call it, it's the second tax apron. I call it the super tax because I think it just makes a lot more sense to call it that way. I think you're going to look at those teams as, you know, I love Derek's question here, you know, New Orleans, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Minnesota, definitely teams like that. Golden State, Clippers, Boston, Milwaukee, uh, maybe even Phoenix, potentially. Probably not as much Phoenix just because their money's more tied up in you know, their, their main guys. Um, but all those teams that are super expensive, look at any one of them, and you may see, hey, we can poach, right? This is a chance to go get a really good, talented player uh, for less than what they're probably worth in trade. And let's go get them as they look to rebalance their, their cap sheets. Cause that's, it's going to have to be a thing, you know, for these teams, this is kind of the grace period year um, for those teams. So they're given one year is kind of get your books in order and then go. So I think this is going to be a very, very active trade market with more big names moved in deals that aren't necessarily like the blockbuster, you know, Kevin Durant kind of, kind of trade. I think, you know, we'll, we'll, see just several you know big names big money players uh moved as everybody tries to rebounce because the other thing too is for those teams that have been way under the cap and uh you know lower salaried teams that doesn't have any benefit this year because they made not only did they make the penalties of right you got to get to the floor but they made the penalties you won't share in the luxury tax um if you don't hit the hit, hit a certain level as well so the, the money that gets paid out to other teams what they're basically trying to do is push everybody into the middle right we want you all spending roughly around the same yo spoiler alert opinion time it's not going to work because you still are going to have rich rich ownership groups that are like ha i laugh at you and i can just continue to do business the way i've done it and i think they're going to do some weird you're going to see some weird contracts that are going to make that why'd that guy get paid so much part of it was they paid him that much to turn him into the to a you know, kind of walking trade exception, you know, where they can can move them later down the line and those sorts of things. But yeah, we're 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 in for a very, you know, kind of interesting uh, you know, off season from trade standpoint. Keith, for those that don't listen to the front office show, but should start listening after this, it is no longer the best kept secret in all basketball podcasts. Appreciate you guys that. are 
Can you explain the super tax or what you guys have pegged as the super tax? Because some sure. of the listeners may not know exactly what goes into that, what some of those restrictions are going to be, whether it's some of them start this off season or do any of them start this off season and then some down the road. But you, you can, I'll let you explain kind of how that all works and what we're talking sure. about here. Yeah, I think the best way to explain it is they're trying to put handcuffs on the league's most expensive teams. And what they're trying to do with those handcuffs is they're trying to turn it into a spot where they didn't go to a hard cap, which was never going to fly, right? If they did insisted on a hard cap, we'd be headed towards a lockout right now. So what they said was, you can still resign all your guys. So if you're the Golden State Warriors and you've drafted historically well over the years, you can still resign everybody and you know, you're, you're good. But if you are doing that, we're not going to let you resign guys and then use the mid-level exception and take on money in trades and sign bio players and all those sorts of things. Those have all been eliminated. So what happens is this coming season. So, you know, about a month from now, when free agency opens, the teams that are above the second tax apron. Um, so what they did was you've got the luxury tax, you've got the the tax apron, that that initial one. That's been the one that has historically been, you know, that's where teams get hard capped. If they're subject to the hard cap, that's about $7 million over the, the luxury tax. Then they added a second tax apron. So this is for the most expensive teams in the league. That is $17.5 million over the luxury tax. So it's about 10 and a half over the, the tax apron. Those teams will not have the mid-level exception this year. They just won't have any. So what they will be down to this summer is we can sign our draft picks, we can sign players to minimum contracts, and we can um, make trades. And you can make trades in the normal way uh, this year all the way up through uh, the trade deadline for this coming season. A year from now, as we're going into the summer of 2024, it gets even more restrictive for those super expensive teams. So a couple of things they won't be able to do. They still won't have the mid-level exception. They won't be able to um, sign buyout players who made more than the mid-level. So, for example, the uh, Kevin Love signing might not have been able to fly uh, to Miami. Now, Miami's not a super tax team, but those kind of signings. Um, you're not going to let the rich get richer at the you know, uh, buyout season. You also will trades become far more restrictive. I think even the most casual fan knows you can take two $10 million players and trade them for a $25 million player because you're allowed to add their salaries together in a trade. And then you get a little bit of a bump on top of that to go get the, get the player in, in the new world under, if you're a super tax team, trades have to be dollar for dollar and you can no longer aggregate players together. So you can't take two $10 million players and go turn them into you know, a $20 million player. That's not allowed. So you get stuck into a really um, spot where it is like, all right, trades, it's either we're taking back what we sent out or we're taking back less um, in that situation. So that becomes a whole, whole other thing there. Uh, there's rules around draft picks. If you're a super tax team uh, for multiple years, your draft pick gets dropped to the end of the first round. Um, so you, you know, now, hopefully that's not too much of a punishment because if you're spending that kind of money, you better be picking in the mid to late 20s anyway. Um, but, right, you're going to drop to the end of the last round. The other thing it does is it freezes your pick that's seven years out. So the Kevin Durant trade, 
couldn't have happened because you couldn't have sent, um, you couldn't have done the aggregating of the salaries together and you couldn't have sent a draft pick that's seven years out. And then you're going to be out of the tax uh, for a prescribed window before that pick frees back up to be traded. So so it gets really, really restrictive on how you're going to build build out your roster if you're in the super tax. It's not a hard cap, but I think teams are going to treat it as a de facto hard cap just because it's so hard to flush out your depth around your team. You better you better nail every draft pick you have. Um, otherwise, you're, you're going to be in a really tricky spot. So that's something the Pistons can maybe take advantage of. So that's what we were talking about, guys. Just wanted to make sure everybody understood that, you know, with the Pistons in their cap situation, they can make Maybe take advantage of some of these teams that are going to avoid that. We're going to take another short break. And then when we come back, Amari's got some more questions for Keith. I've got some more questions for Keith. We got questions in the chat. So we'll keep throwing them at him until we run out of time here. We'll get right back into it right after this short break. All right, Keith, we are back with segment three. Um, let's take more of a broad view of the offseason just from a salary cap standpoint. I, where would you rank the Pistons, you know, I guess, generally, maybe if you did tiers or some, something like that? Uh, just overall flexibility, uh, just to what extent do you think they'll be able to kind of dictate their own future this summer, maybe compare it to teams who are, like Golden State, for example, a team that's taxed out. Just where <laughs> do the Pistons kind of rank, you know, like uh, NBA terms as far as how they can dictate things this summer? Yeah, you went to the extreme there. Yeah, uh, you know? <laughs> that was the side of the court. Yeah, right, right. The, the Warriors are nowhere near the, that that world. Yeah, I think the Pistons are right in that mix. Right, they're going to have almost thirty million in cap space. Maybe they could get to a little bit more. We'll, we'll see. I don't. I, I tend to feel pretty good about the players I project them to keep and not move on from. Um, so that puts them in the range with Indiana, Oklahoma City, Orlando. Um, just behind, you know, the main cap space teams this summer, which are like Houston, uh, Utah, San Antonio. Um, those are the big, big money spenders, but only seven teams, uh, that I project to have cap space this summer. We'll see. There's a couple of teams that are swing teams that could maybe join them. We could see like the Charlotte Hornets getting that mix, but I don't think they will because um, they're still dealing with the Miles Bridges situation as well as PJ Washington's free agency. Um, so we'll see, you know, Sacramento, if if Harrison Barnes left, they could potentially go uh, the cap space route, but I think it's probably more likely they just retain Barnes and keep a good thing rolling there. So really good flexibility, right? And they, the Pistons are also in a spot where it's not like they're trying to fill out 12 roster spots either, right? So, you know, they're, they're in a spot where you can use that, you know, 30 million in space to do some stuff. They've got a couple of veterans in Bogdanovich and Burks that, that'll have traded value right this summer if, if they did decide, you know, hey, we didn't trade them at the deadline, but there's a move that's too good to pass up right now. They can go. You've got some uh, uh, p- positional surplus, I think, at the big spots, um, you know, that you could 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 move on from somebody there, especially if it's like, you know, we don't know where Isaiah Stewart is going, but we don't feel great about extending him. You know, maybe you can move on from him while he's still, you know, a positive value player uh, before he's on his next contract. So there's a lot, lot of flexibility, and that's that's you know, it's never a bad thing to have that flexibility as long as you use it, you know, in a good way. I don't know that it's going to fly to eat a whole bunch of salaries and then just wave those guys as dead money on your books like they did a couple years ago. I think it's going to have to be, hey, get somebody who can either help us right now just be better or somebody who can really grow forward with, with the younger core, even if they're 
you know, not a 22 year old, even if it's somebody who's 25 or 26, you know, let's, let's get this thing moving in an upward direction here. This is from Jonathan Strong. You brought up Boyan. What would you do with Boyan, Keith? And how much does it depend on who the Pistons draft? So we talked a lot about these wing guys, right? Cam, Whitmore, those guys. There's a world where they draft Taylor Hendricks or Jarris Walker. And now there's a little bit more where you could keep playing Boyan at the three and there's no young guy there, you know, maybe Isaiah Livers. So what I, I know it depends on the draft a little bit, but big picture, Boyan this offseason, his trade market. Yeah, I just hang on to him and go into the season with him, you know, barring somebody blowing you away in an offer for him or him needing to be a part of a much bigger trade. I like that one that was suggested about, you know, could, could the shade and sharp thing be a thing? If that, if that was on the table, yeah, I'd be all over that. I wouldn't even hesitate. Um, I'm really high on shade and sharp. Uh, so I think we're in a spot where that becomes really interesting um, to see you know, where, where do we go uh, with, with Bogdanovich? Because I think he's a guy who's, you know, unless, he shows up and forgot how to shoot, which that hasn't happened to this point. And I don't think will. He's going to hold value, right? He's still going to be a guy that that you could get and uh, you know go go move in in trade all the way up to the trade deadline. So you know, I, I think if the goal is to be a better team and start making real strides forward. It kind of works in the opposite way to trade a guy like Bogdanovich because I just think he's a really good, helpful player. The other thing, too, is with the young guards, with Cunningham and Ivy, what I don't, I think where teams make mistakes with those guys is they don't put enough shooting around them. Just not necessarily from a standpoint of to mask their own deficiencies, but just I think what happens with young guards is if I get into the paint continually, I click it out, kick it out, and it clanks off the rim. I'm going to stop kicking it out, right? I'm going to start trying to do it all myself. And that's where I think you want to be in a spot where, hey, let's be a little bit, you know, more conscious of giving them options, right? And that's where I think Bogdanovich and Burks, uh, to a lesser degree, come in is I want when my playmakers make the right read to do that. I want, you know, if if uh, J- Jalen Duran and James Wiseman catch it around the rim and kick it out to a shooter in the corner. I want the shot to go in so they feel like they made the right play, right? I don't want it to be they kicked it out and it was just another one that, you know, fell off the rim, you know, or missed or missed badly or whatever. Like, you got to have some shooting on the floor. And I think Bogdanovich is is a good guy for that. And if you're trying to be competitive, you know he's a guy you can throw the ball to at the end of the game and say, hey, go go create something for us. Keith, we have a question here about uh, Wiseman's future, but we can open it up and get into uh, the three Extension eligible players that just have this offseason. Uh, Wiseman, obviously, Isaiah Stewart, and then Killian Hayes. Uh, I, I, I think Wiseman's a little unique given that they just traded for him. But if you're looking at extension ranges for these guys, and obviously there's probably, you know, a lot of gambling, uh, kind of where would you map their value now? Or, you know, maybe to what extent do you think the Pistons should be willing to commit? I'll start with the easiest one for me of that group, and it's Killian Hayes. They're just he hasn't done enough for me to extend him. It would have to be so team friendly that it doesn't even make sense for him, right? Because that turns into, hey, I'd rather bet that it all comes together for me in year four, and then then we could go. And that's always the from a team's standpoint is that's the nice thing about this process for for the team. It sucks for the player, but it, the nice thing is that we still have restricted free agency next year if if these guys pop late. Um, so I wouldn't do anything with him. Wiseman, I think, is easier where it's just let's let the year play out because you know, we, we've got, what, 24 games I think he played uh, for the Pistons last year or something, and they were, they were pretty good. You know, at, at times, you know, his moments, I think, I think we're seeing, you know, 
Dude just needed to play. He needed to play without, I had a turnover and looking over at the bench and wondering if I'm coming right out of the game, right? Um, We've seen Monty Williams do pretty good with bigs in the past, right? He got got a lot out of James Wiseman, right? I'm not, DeAndre, right? So I think he can get a good amount out of James Wiseman. So I'm a fan and I, you know, my, my challenge there is, I also really like Jalen Duran, so I don't know, you know, we're, 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 where we're going to land with that. But for now, hey, I got 24 minutes of center play covered, and you know, we'll figure it all out from there. Isaiah Stewart's the tough one, man, because I feel like every good team has an Isaiah Stewart where it's just dude plays with a ton of energy, and he's going to hit the boards, and he's going to do a lot of stuff, and he's really going to you know get in there and you know toss dudes around and make things happen and play super physical um, with that. I think whether it was him or the team, I did not like the whole, hey, let's try to shoot more threes. I, I thought that went too far uh, last year for, for him. I mean, it, it got to be you know, almost half his shots, I think. I, mean, I might have that wrong. Um, but it was almost half his shots were three-pointers. That's not – no, we're, get, we're getting too far away from what makes him good um, with, with that. That's It's fine if, you know, if it was like, hey, we're going to try this, and then it's like, oh, he's knocking down 37%. That becomes different, but he shot in the low 30s. So it was just – it felt like, uh, hey, let's just keep trying it. And it's like, I don't know. So I worry about that, you know, with him. And then that becomes how much do you pay? You know, an energy bank, right? Like, well, well, what's our number there? And that's where I think for him, it's probably more like we get into a spot where it becomes, all right, we're just going to let it play out too. And, you know, and if you come back and play well, then, you know, we've got restricted free agency to fall into and with that. So I don't, I don't think we're going to necessarily see any extensions for, for those three guys. I think, um, you were know, probably headed in a, in a no extension path for, for them, but kind of all for different reasons. This is from our guy, Kyle, under data driven Pistons fans. Can teams trade drafted players after the new league year, but before they are signed to a contract? So for example, could they draft a player at five, then wait till they have cap space to package him in a trade? Yeah, happens all the time. These are the ones I call it hat shenanigans, where you know you see a guy gets a hat, and then it's like, but there's a prearranged trade that's sending him somewhere. But that trade can't be executed until the moratorium ends in the you know first week of July. So so we see that all the time. There, there's also the opportunity. Yeah, Detroit could could draft somebody and then get into free agency and find out. Hey, we really want to trade for. They, I don't know, they, you know uh, Amon Thompson, right? Because he fell to you and we really, really want him and we're willing to do this or whatever. That's more likely to happen at the draft than it is, you know, a week or two later uh, when free agency opens up. So I, I think we're probably more in a spot where we'll see it be, um, you know, if they're going to do anything with the draft pick, probably happens at the draft. But that is allowed. You can you can do that. And there's also every once in a while, you'll see teams where it's, hey, we need the players uh, salary to be in the trade. So what they'll do is they'll sign him, and then you have to wait 30 days. Uh, the probably the most famous example of that was um, Andrew Wiggins uh, got uh, signed and then got traded to Minnesota in the Kevin Love deal uh, to send him to Cleveland. And we all had to sit here and wait 30 days when we all knew Kevin Love was going to be on the Cavs. I was going to bring up the Wiggins deal as an example of yep. that. Um, you know, I guess with the fifth pick too, like what salary implications does that have for the uh, team? Like, I think maybe they were 
uh, in a lot of the projections were mocked of, of, you know, maybe they get the first pick, but they'll probably save a little bit of money. How does that impact their cap space? Yeah, they, they do. So that that uh, fifth pick comes with a cap hold of about $7.8 $7. million. It's the first year salary plus the 120% because everybody signs for that. That saved them about $4 million um, on, on that. Now this is a, you know, <laughs> that's great. Thanks. Yeah. Well, wow. But, but they're glad we didn't get the, right. No one cares about $4 million, right? Like that's, you know, we'd rather have had the number one pick, but you know, Hey, if we're, we're going to, you know, take the positive side and what's done is done. Yeah. The number one picks about 11.9 million, uh, you know, the, the fifth picks about 7.8. So, you know, a little over $4 million. All right. Another one from Doug McMiniman. Keith, given the Piston situation, what's the best way to maneuver the new CBA? So I know we've talked a lot about this. You, you've talked a little bit about how they could take advantage of this for teams that are in that super tax. Is there anything they need to look out for? You know, as hopefully Cade hits a ceiling and Jaden Ivy hits a ceiling, maybe Jalen Durham, the new, what, what kind of things do they have to be looking to do as hopefully they get better, acquire more talent? You know, what's in there that they got to be cognizant of? Yeah, you got to be a little bit careful this summer with that thirty million in cap space that you don't sign a contract that that goes sideways on you. For example, um, if there was a free agent that you felt, yeah, you know, we got the, we just got to have this guy, and he's like thirty two years old, um, big, you know, but he's a little bit younger. But let's say they want really, really wanted Harrison Barnes for some reason, and I'm just throwing him out there because he's like a you know early thirties uh, player. You, you don't want to give him a contract that is sitting at, you know, $35, 36000000 million in that, that uh, third and fourth years because now you're into hopefully Cade Cunningham's past the injury blows up this year and now you're into a, a you know, looking into his extension kicking in and, you know, by the time that contract would be sitting out there in there. Uh, maybe even, even Jaden Ivey, that's where – that's where teams kind of sometimes get themselves in trouble because then it's, well, we wouldn't got the guy to help lift us now, but then we, we got to pay our own guys in a couple years down the line. You know, this is the one thing the NBA calendar moves really, really fast. Like it seems absolutely insane to me that we're talking about Cade Cunningham has one more year left and then it's extension eligible. And some of that's because of the lost year, right? Like, like, like we, we had that lost year. So, so I, I think it's, you know, one of those things where, where we'll see, you know, where it goes. But yeah, I think it's, um, they're fine right now. I wouldn't be worried much about the CBA other than just just kind of keeping a general eye on that. But I don't think they're going to be in that position to drop $30 million on one free agent anyway. Um, there's nobody who really makes sense to do that with it. If they do, I'm, I'm happy to come back and you'll let you know, you know whether I thought they were right or wrong to do so um, on a you know, four-year uh, you know, you know, major your money contract, but you know, I don't think that's where that's going to go. Keith, we got one more for you. Uh, we know who you would pick at, at five, you mentioned Cam Whitmore. If you want to pivot off of that, perfectly cool. But uh, if you were, let's say you were the Pistons GM this summer, you have this cap space and the fifth overall pick, uh, kind of what, what path would, would you pick and what would you, uh, you know, do in free agency and with that fifth overall pick? Yeah, first thing I do is I call the Magic and find out if there's a player they super love at five. Like, do, do that, that, 
you know, can, can I steal 11 from them, right, to move up one spot? Um, unfortunately, this is not the magic uh, that, that Sam Hinkie pulled that on him, you know, a few years ago when it was, uh, okay, they really want Alfred Payton, so I'm going to draft him and then force them to draft my guy and give me an additional first-rounder. Um, but I, I would just see, right, because they, they have the two draft picks, at least it's worth a worth a phone call. So what I would do is, right, you're sitting on that $30 million in space. I would see if I could get one of these super tax teams has a player that's, you know, maybe maybe they're going to move on from just to free things up a little bit that can either be one player that really fits well and can plug a real need for me. I I know people don't love Jordan Poole and don't love the contract, but I think he'd make a lot of sense for this team just because they need somebody who can put the ball in the basket consistently, and I think he can do that. Um, you know, I think we've seen him do that at a very high level and do it efficiently um, in the past. And that's even when he didn't have staff, you know, there because it's it's we we tend to poo poo the things the Warriors do with while well, they have staff. And some of that's true, but some of those guys are pretty good, uh, you know, independent as well. So I would look at that, um, you know, or if you know, Boston was like, "Hey, what do you think about Malcolm Brogdon?" Like, hey, that's only got two years, two years left on that contract. It could really help you, um, you know, this year moving forward. Those would be the kind of things I'd be looking at with my cap space because there's no free agents that necessarily jump out to me as like, "Yep, that's the guy. Got to go get him." Or there's not even like two or three where I'm like, "Split that thirty million up between three guys." There will be right. There'll be players that's like, "Hey, that guy's kind of still sitting out there." Um, you know, playing in restricted free agency. Yeah, if you wanted to throw a hundred million dollar offer sheet at Austin Reeves, who I think could really fit well, do it and force the Lakers to match it. I think they will. I think the Lakers will match it. So you need to be ready with you know Plan B on that one. If Plan B was Cam Johnson, you know, go go nuts with that too. You know, if that's the direction you want to go. I would like to see them maybe target get get a point guard if you can like just just somebody who can ease the burden on Cade Cunningham a little bit maybe allow you to play some different looks with him maybe playing a little bit more as a playmaking uh, forward uh, than necessarily having to be the dawn ball creator of all things but uh, just be patient I guess that's the biggest thing like there's no reason to make crazy all-in moves right now you're 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 far enough away but with enough promise that I don't feel like it's like I have to do something today um, with that so you know and you got the coach now right and you you have the coach you're locked into the coach for uh years to come so you can afford a little bit more of a patient approach this summer i know we said that was the last question and you don't have to expand on this at all keith (laughs) but jalen brown gets traded does not get traded gets a super max or gets a disrespectful offer and isn't doesn't get offered the super max what 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 plays out there i think they're going to give him the full super max offer i just think that's the easiest path forward and then it'll be let tomorrow's problems be tomorrow's problems like we'll we'll figure those out uh, down the line i think there's a belief even at $50 million a year, which is where that would ultimately land out to, uh, he's still tradable. Like, like we can still make a trade. It's not going to be anything that'll, you know, kill us. And, and from his side, anything less than the super max, unless they can really come together on, Hey, we're going to go slightly less than the max, but we're still going to give you the five years, but it's because we need the flexibility to do X, Y, and Z maybe, but he took less last time. Um, because it was a lot of the last time was, hey, we're going to save it for Jason Tatum. Um, and that was, all right, I get it. Like, and he, but he also wasn't an all NBA player, uh, when he signed that one. He was 
you know, guy coming off a year where he'd come off the bench uh, most of the year. So, so I think, you know, super maximum, let tomorrow's problems be tomorrow's problems and you'll figure it out down the line. But I think that's where it probably goes. But I've said this over and over again, if they offer him the super max without any kind of conditions attached, right? Just here it is, everything we can give you. And he says, no, then the answer has to be trade. Right, because that is one player. Kawhi Leonard turned it down, and he turned it down because he wanted to be traded. So we just need to get into a spot where it turns into all right. Let's 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 go. You know, you know, right in the right kind of way um, there to uh, you know move 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 things into a spot where it is. All right, we're going to rebuild everything around Tatum. Not rebuild, retool. I guess is a better way to put it. But but we're going to go in that direction. All right, Keith, man, I, I could throw questions at you all day. I know Amari could. We got a but it's everybody in the chat. We apologize. We couldn't, there's no way we could get to everything. Keith has a life outside of this, but you're the best, man. Like we appreciate you so much. You are a friend of the podcast <laughs> and we appreciate anytime you make time. I hope, I really hope you make it out to Vegas. And I would love just to be able to sit down and talk hoops with you for however long, um, get a chance. And again, I know Amari would as well. Thank you again, guys. If you don't already listen, if you're not subscribed, the front office show, I, Keith, I'll let you do it. Let them, let them know where they can find you. Yeah, if we didn't get to your specific Pistons questions, pop in. Front Office Fridays, every Friday, um, we do a live show just like this where, where it's live and and we, we record it for the podcast version later. But but, but pop in and you know, ask your questions there. We, we don't get a lot of Pistons questions, so we'd love to see uh, some Pistons fans show up uh, there. It's usually usually around 1 Eastern, so you know if you're – running out the clock on the work day and, you know, schedule a conference call or something and close your office door and, you know, sit down and spend an hour with us. We have a lot of fun over there. We, we did full, full uh, deal front office Fridays also meant to be, fun friday too so we tend to go off the rails every once in a while and have a lot of fun but, but we, we have a really good time trevor lane and i on front office show and then uh, the other days of the week where we're recording all the latest news and notes around the nba and this is this is kind of our time to shine this is you know heading into free agency so we're the ton of free agency previews coming out for teams players positions all that sort of stuff and then uh and then we we do live shows throughout the course of free agency as well where uh where we're live we for example just to to the because we're we, we did it and it was crazy how many people watched it. But we broke down the Kevin Durant trade when it happened live at like two thirty in the morning, um, and we had like you know five thousand people watching live at two thirty in the morning, which is still you know bananas. And I don't know why that happened the way it happened, but but it was a lot of fun. So we we, we do all that sort of stuff too. Everybody, check out the front office show. Check out front office Fridays. You know, Keith Smith works harder at this than pretty much everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, he is such an excellent resource for any you know CBA matters or just NBA in general. So check out his podcast, check out Front Office Fridays if you have any questions about the Pistons. Because Pistons fans have a national profile anyway, right? You know, go ahead and get those questions in. You know Keith's willing to help and support his podcast as well. Keith, it's always a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us on Sunday. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. And I'll go ahead and close this out. So big thanks to our executive producer, Ajadet Delgado, sports editor Kirkland Crawford, of course, our audio producer, Robin Chan, and always... Shout out to West Davenport, and we'll talk to you all next week.